Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast, where I partner with our biggest publishers and agencies to bring you the most current and cutting-edge research and stories on personal growth, development, and improvement, so you can be in the know and at your fullest capacity. I'm Kevin Miller. In this episode, we're talking about stereotypes and marginalization. As a six-foot-tall white American male, I am deemed the least marginalized person on planet Earth. I am positively stereotyped. With me today is Tyler Merritt. Tyler is a 6'4", dreadlocked black man in America who absolutely knows what it's like to be negatively stereotyped and marginalized. And while Tyler is a steadfast activist in the face of racism, I invited him on to talk about stereotypes and marginalization overall. I mean, to a great degree, if you're not a white American man, you have experienced some level of negative stereotyping and being marginalized. And that's the focus. How can you flourish amongst that with strength and compassion, which is what Tyler is about. And if you're a white American male, I'd encourage you to tune in so you can increase your own strength and compassion. Tyler Merritt is a Nashville-based actor, activist, cancer survivor, founder of the Tyler Merritt Project, author of the new book, I Take My Coffee Black, Reflections on Tupac, Musical Theater, Faith, and Being Black in America. Over the course of his career, Tyler has gained recognition through notable acting projects, including Kevin Probably Saves the World, Outer Banks, The Outsider, as well as serving as the face of the worldwide teaching curriculum for the Gospel Project for Kids. Most recently, Tyler Merritt made headlines with his 2018 viral video, Before You Call the Cops, which has been viewed by over 100 million people worldwide. And uh, he's appeared because of that on Jimmy Kimmel, MSNBC, New York Times. I showed the video to my family last night. It's powerful. This is going to be a powerful show. If you find value from this self-helpful podcast, subscribe, leave a rating. Best of all, share something you learned from the episode, this episode with someone else. You can always connect with me anywhere at kevinmiller.co. Next up, Tyler Merritt. Tyler, I, uh, I grew up in Kentucky. Second grade through 12th grade and country, Kentucky, mostly white. I mean, my high school is like 2,500 people, mostly white. And to be, to stereotype kind of redneck and, you know, yeah. 51 years old, um, and this increased focus lately, even on race, I've just become more starkly aware of how ignorant, uh, I am and how so much it comes out. Sometimes my kids will call me out. And sure. something will come out and they'll go, dad, that's racist. I just, I, I've, I've heard that all my life. I get the stuff that I was on the playgrounds. I am, I'm blown away by. So, you know, there's my posture as, as I come to this. And I was just thinking about this. I was reading your book and watching your videos, Tyler, and, and saying, you know, from a root issue, I know this sounds so elementary, but why do we as humans have this tendency to react negatively about anyone who's different than we are uh, first of all i think that's sure it's an elementary question but i feel like that's also um a, a question that needs to be asked continually and always uh, i think first man we don't know what we don't know yeah. right yeah. Um, and i think that's really important for all of us to remember um we don't know what we don't know in speech 
Um, just recently, I don't know how up you are on Lizzo, um, the singer. So, so, um, so Yeah. So she just recently had um, finished a brand new record. She hasn't had a record out for forever. She's finished a brand new album. And on the album, she uses the word spaz. Um, S-P-A-Z-Z, mm-hmm. right? Which even if I say that to you now, I'm sure you're like, I what spaz out? I know. Spaz, yeah, exactly. Like freak, right, freak right. out. Kind of, yeah. And she had a handful of people um, come to her and say that this is a word that has been used in a derogatory sense for different reasons, this out of the other. And Lizzo, who already has this album done, finished, complete, about to circulate all over the world, went back in and re-recorded the album without the word spaz in it. Now, let me be clear. We're in a, in a situation right now where everybody can be sensitive about everything. But Lizzo said, I was not aware of this thing. I did not know that in different countries, this word has a very different specific meaning. And I'm going to take responsibility for something that I do not know. And I'm going to change my behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's real life, man. I think that's where we're at. And I think it's okay to say, Look, I didn't grow around a lot of grow up around a lot of black people, a lot of Asian people. I, I just wasn't that was not where that wasn't my wheelhouse. So now as I continue to grow as an individual, I need to figure out what's right and what's wrong. And I ju- I talk, man, I talk about this all the time. There's a difference between like being on like the right side and having a dark heart. <laughs> right? Okay. Like I oftentimes I'm like, do you just have a dark heart? Like, does this mean that once you find out what does hurt someone or um, what may offend someone, do you have the empathy to walk through that? Or do you just have a dark heart and just don't care? Okay. And, and it's that question. Cause I feel like if you, if you don't have a dark heart, you want to be a, a decent human being, but let's all deal with the fact that there are just some things we may not know. Mm-hmm. There just may be some things that we have fears of, but let's find some proximity. Let's try to um, get a little bit closer together with those fears, with those anxieties and see if we can't get past them, man. When we look at stereotype, you got me thinking about the word stereotype. And to some degree, I'm thinking we tend to stereotype. And that's something that we say towards people. We could, you know, say we stereotype, but we're, we're constantly looking around and trying to make judgment calls on things so we can just speed through life. And it is a convenience and it's an, uh, an efficiency to go along, make those judgment calls and, 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 you know, look at danger or not danger or fast or slow or whatever. And I'm doing that, sure. you know, when I drive so I can go as fast as I possibly can. Cause that's how I drive, uh, you know, so as we're doing that with people, I think we do. I I have done that without much thought and Mm. we do. And I may look at, and just again, be unaware. Now here I am over here and I am so cognizant lately more so than ever, but always have been that I am been at the beneficiary, the privilege of a positive stereotype, pretty much no matter where I go for the most part. Uh, 100% where yeah. I've been a couple places where I have been a, a, a minority and, and there was some negativity towards, uh, you know, the, the white person. As a matter of fact, gosh, Tyler, I'm, um, we're just at the end of adoption, uh, of my little girl who we've had for six years. And sure. by the time this publishes, we should have the final adoption. So we've had her for six years. She's native American. They literally have laws against white people adopting. Yeah. So it's been a lot of time, a lot of money, whatever, but outside of that, 
And yet here you are. And so many people, I, I, is it fair to say if you're not, I'm just going to say it. And if it's ignorant, you can tell me if you're not a white American male, you've probably had some kind of negative stereotyping or marginalization that you've dealt with, whether you're woman, whether you're short, whether you're, is that fair? 100%. Okay. I, I think, I think that's fair. And listen, uh, okay. Uh, you got to hear me out here. And my girlfriend would probably say that I'm doing this thing that I always do where I'm kind of empathetic with everybody. But um, look, look, the stereotype white men, man, y'all have a stereotype that goes along with you now too. I, and I can't even lie, bro. Like, I'm telling you, do not be outside wearing a red hat nowadays, man. Like, if I see a white dude in a red hat, I'm looking really close to see what's written on the uh, uh, on the bill of that hat. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, um, and 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 don't get me wrong here. When I um, it's different. It's it's that it's that's different, right? Because that kind of is working from this weird state place of privilege, but. Trust me, man, I, I nowadays have to evaluate when I see a white dude, I have to be like, yo, are you on my side or not? Right. You know, um, I, I think about that. And that is that has nothing to do with where you've come from, where you've been, where you've been at. That sometimes just has to do with me going like you're a white you're a white male with a certain amount of privilege. And I don't know if you've done the work to be in a place where you and I can have a rational conversation without you saying some things that are going to come off horribly. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I automatically can put up, you know, a wall and that's, that's my own um, ability to stereotype specifically white men nowadays. Yeah. Now hear me. I agree with you hundred percent though. Um, Every oh, we're all dealing with stereotypes, whether you're black, white, um, short, tall, female, man, the stuff that females have to go through, especially black females, um, it's it's heavy and it's weighty. Yeah. But I, I really do. And I, and I know this is one of the reasons why we're talking, man, is I I really do believe that one of the ways that we can change our world is leaning into those things that we just do not know. Yeah. Because I really do believe that um, the closer that we get to each other, the more we attempt to um, mix the sauce of those things that we do not know, it's um, things become rich. We become learned. Um, we begin to fall in love with those things that we were ignorant with. And I all, man, when I tell you one of the biggest joys that I have in my life is I love when something that um, is stereotypy ends up being the absolute opposite. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Well, it's, like, your, it's your video. That's what your video did justice to the uh, before you call the cops. Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah. Well, I, which I, I got to tell you, I watched it at home with my family last night. And it's just, I, I, I also say it's just so sweet. It's just so sweet. Yeah. Um, so I hear. I, hear I love you. that though, man. I, I love it. I love it when I meet um, uh, uh, my. Uh, I used to work at my kids' church quite a bit before COVID. Um, you know, I would have a, a little girl come in, and she would be in a pretty dress with a bow up, and she's like seven years old, and she would come in, or a white young girl, and then come in, and I would be like, "Hey, how are you doing? So what did what did you do this weekend?" thinking that it could be anything like I had a tea party with my dad or whatever, you know, 
let that little girl say something like, I watched the NBA finals. I'm like, the hell? <laughs> like any time that I can get, um, I see something that kind of rocks my like stereotypy thing. Uh, it just challenged me to think, challenges me to think about how rich this world is and how closed off we can be sometimes because of our fears, because of our histories, um, because of our just not knowing. And you're right with me. I, you know, I'm a six foot two black dude with dreadlocks and you know, I was just listening to the Bridges of Madison County musical uh-huh. in my car yeah. this morning. You know what I mean? Like, come yeah. on, man. Well, and, and that's, that's interesting, though, with the I mean, you because you have taken and you could make a case for. your six foot two black man to wear clothes, to do your hair different and to be less black. And, right. And you've decided not to. And to play in that water. Is that right? Fair? And I would say, let me say this. When okay. you say less black, just for people, I know there are people that listening right now that went, wait, did you hear what that white man said? Uh, probably. Um, I, I just, and I just want to clarify, if people are listening. We have a relationship. You and I have talked. So yeah. please, I want anybody to know that's watching this that. Well, I told you, you got permission to call me out on, on being ignorant, which you, you spoke to. And you said, in one sense, you're having compassion for the ignorance, but what I transposed into what you said is that for, I'll take it, I'll own it for me. Do I, am I going to take the responsibility to address my ignorance and to, and I can see you saying, is this guy doing the work to be sensitive, to understand his privilege and to are we allowed to use the word, you know, affirmative action towards those who are yeah, marginalized, yeah. which is pretty much everybody, but me, and, right. And, and which you, it. here's, what's great though, which you are, which I love. Cause I know there will be, be people that will be watching this. that may not um, know you directly and may have clicked on it. Cause they're here to hear what I have to say. But what I love about um, what we've talked about previously is that the whole reason I'm here is because you're doing the work and it's beautiful. Let's talk about the less black thing. It's funny that you mentioned that because Saying less black implies that there is a way to be black, Mm -hmm. right? Right. And um, something that I talk about all the time is that we as black people, we are not monolithic, right? And um, one of the things that I love so much about the book that I wrote and what I am getting back from my black readers, and I get these messages all the time. Um, I was, I was work, I did a, all black book club recently where they had me in as a guest and we were talking. And one of the things they love so much and the message that I get are, I love reading a book about being black. that isn't talking about just one way to be black because there is no one way to be black. So even in, in our loose language, when we say things like less black, we have to ask ourselves the questions like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, what does it mean? Does it mean I talk less black do I walk less black? What does that mean? And man, it just so happens that with our blackness comes along a lot of things that um, we as black people are always aware of. There is never a moment that I am not fully and wholly aware of my blackness. Right. But hey, if tomorrow I go outside and I want to, um, you know, you know, I choose to play baseball over basketball. 
you know, that doesn't mean I'm any less black than if I was Michael Jordan versus I was Jose Canseco. You know, by the way, I had to really dig for a baseball name right then. I just <laughs> I'm not I'm not any I'm not any better on that one. You know, you know you've got me thinking, though, Tyler, um, I've been talking with a group of friends just about faith. OK. And, and yeah. Christianity and kind of the containers that we have religion in. In the same way, I'm thinking over here to my less black statement that my kids are going to love razzing me on now, um, that I'm putting that in a container of, of just so what you said of what black entails, whatnot. And I'm thinking about, you know, you mentioned women that we have a container that we expect them to be in, even in the professional workplace, we expect if we go into the high rise in New York city, that the guys are going to be in a suit and the women are going to be in the, you know, whatever the, the dress, a dress, something like that, not in a suit. We still mm-hmm. expect those. I don't expect them to be less woman. I want to do the same right. thing there that, that we want them in this. It's almost a little disconcerting if they're not. So if they show up in a suit, that stands out and that's worth almost addressing. I mean, you, you expect that. And I wonder, and again, I'm playing with this, the expectation that we have for these categories to remain in their containers and again, stereotype them around whether they do or not. Well, bro, you ready for this? It's about to get real, real, my friend. Okay, do it. Um, think about it this way, man. Look, it's fair to say one of the reasons that we think that way is because culturally we've been conditioned to be that way, right? We've been conditioned for years and years and years that the role of a woman is one thing, a role of a man is another thing. Like we see it on TV. We see it in books that we read. We see it, whatever. We are conditioned to um, have an understanding of what certain people and things are supposed to be like it's historically now it's changed over the it's changed it's, those things have changed but let's talk about like just if we go back in in time now the, the, there's a there's a history of us being conditioned in things right yeah. with that being said though you have to ask yourself who are the people that are creating these conditions right okay um you know getting back to you being the um gifted white man that you are right mm-hmm. um we, we, I, I got into a conversation with somebody um, at a book club that was all white women. And um, I, I was trying my best to sweetly explain to this white woman. She was saying like, you know, but I'm not this way. This isn't the way that I am. So, you know, you can't look at me and say that I'm this way. And I was trying to explain to her, we live in the United States of America. We do. Like, if you want to go into another country, that's fine. But in the United States of America, we're dealing in a place in a, in a, in a, in a, in a country where white men built all of the constructs that we've known. All of them. There was a period of time where only white men could vote. And white men considered black people animals and let black men vote before women. You know, like it, this, these are constructs that were trickled down from white men. And so those, and so we were conditioned from that time period of trickle down to believe and see a lot of the things that white men saw. Now, let me be really clear before the white men that are watching this are like, oh, why are you trying to give me white man guilt? I'm not, man, I, right now I'm just talking history, Right. But I think we have a we have a responsibility 
to untrain ourselves from those things that culture has conditioned us to, that our history has conditioned us to, um, that we didn't birth. Because let me be very clear. I ain't even going to I ain't, listen. I ain't even about to try to lie to you right now. And I feel like somebody could take this clip and put it all over the Internet. If I, as a black man, had the opportunity to build the constructs of the United States that we were going to live in, first of all, black women would run the world. (laughs) (laughs) Black women would run everything. And then it would all kind of be trickled down from that. You know what I mean? Like, so look, we live in a world where constructs were built the way that they were. And this is where we've landed. Now it's our job Yeah. To begin to 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 loosen ourselves up from those things that we've been taught, man. Do, do you know uh, Dr. Tama Bryant? That name from she she just she's the new president of elect of the APA American Psychological Association. Uh, okay, I I don't know the name. You but need to, I mean, you need to check I'm out. She, she's a black woman, and her premise not her premise that's not fair, but a primary advocacy for her is not even necessarily. Um, that it's bringing spirituality into psychology, which is really cool. So she's kind of the, she's kind of the Trinity for me. So uh, it was a great, great show with her, but you know, coming back to the, the containers and the stereotypes. Yeah. I mean, I see us doing that again, out of an efficiency to just understand things. This is what I expect so I can speed through life. And when it comes outside of that, it makes me, I have to call, I have to pause and consider and make a decision. And I do, I often in my selfishness don't want to, to do that. But what we're talking about here and what I'm so curious about, if I was videotaped, how often would I be found subconsciously minimizing people because of X, marginalizing people because of X, which bank teller do I go up to? Which grocery line do I go up to? Who, what salesperson do I go? And when we know the stats on that, even just, just height, taller people make more money or taller men, at least maybe it's overall taller people make more money, get more. I mean, you got that going for you at least, uh, with with that, but it's true. It's a stat and we do it out of some right, you know, primal aspect of taller is stronger and that must be better. And these hierarchies, you got me thinking about hierarchies too, that we, as what you talked about, we've got one here in America of, of white men, but we're still struggling with that. And I see that with my girls. Um, Mm -hmm. I see that with my kids tall and short and, and that just exists. And and yeah, it's so, I think we're all ignorant. And and I I even, I lived for a long time in the South uh, with a guy and he was black, Mm -hmm. but he was black in response to a primarily white redneck culture. And I don't know that he even did it justice. And I didn't grow a whole lot as a result of him being my best friend at the time in this sensitivity. If anything, he probably opened the door to just let it kind of be kidded about like normal. Well, I'll tell you, man, like falling, going back into the, there's really no one way to be black. That's a hard place to be, man. It's a hard place to be when you're the entirety of your surroundings are different than you are. And oftentimes, so here's a, a personal story. I recently went to a place called, no, I won't give the name of the place because I, I don't want them to feel any certain way about it. But I recently went to a place that's pretty fancy with my girlfriend, my girlfriend's white. And um, this place was, when I tell you it's fancy, it's fancy. Okay. It's it's really fancy. And um, before I came up to meet her where she was, um, I said, Hey, she goes, I just want to let you know, it's pretty fancy around here. And 
I'm like, okay, cool. And the first thing I asked her was, um, are the people that are the, the um, people serving food and the people that are in the hotel and all those places, are they all black? And she said, no. And I said, good. I said, good. That's important for me. Uh-huh. Um, and because of how fancy this place is, a lot of people want to come there for the service industry. So they're from all over the world, right? So you have a lot of different people. But what I didn't want to walk, walk into is an environment where it was mostly white people being served by black people. And um, which you can tell pretty quickly that that tends to be a trickle down from, because this was in Tennessee. Um, this is trickle down um, from from racism, really. And she was like, no, it's mostly service people. And so we were at dinner one night, we're in this room and I'm the only black person there. Hmm. And it's all white people. There's one black server. Um, his name was um, Bubba, I think is what his name was. And when I saw him, we both gave each other that eye, like, what up, man? Like we both recognized the fact he was at work and he was going to be serving me. And we both had this unspoken word of like, I recognize the fact, bro, that I'm the only black person in this room right now. And I recognize the fact that you are working. I got you. It was this weird, unspoken, I got you thing. But the whole reason I bring up that story is less about talking about the two of us, but asking you, man, when was the last time that you were in a really nice place and you were the only white person in the room? Never. (laughs) Right. Like, and if you were, if you were the singular white person in a room like that and flip it around and it was me and you kicking it and everybody else being sat and being served was black. Everybody, the, the, the chef was black. The sommelier was black. All of that. You would think that you were in a black owned place or you would think like, wow, this is a, I'm, I'm experience a, experiencing a black thing right now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I spent some time in Silicon Valley. We spent a summer there, my whole family, uh, years back. And down in that, you know, hub of Silicon Valley. And it was the first time I didn't feel like the majority. Um, yeah. A lot of Asian culture uh, there. I was, I was surprised. And, but, it, but I'll admit it was, a, it was disconcerting. I noticed I noticed because this had never happened before. You're, I mean, you're in my neck of the woods. So I, we, before being out here in Colorado, I was, we were a decade in Franklin. Yeah. Yeah. Out you the, get it. Yeah. Yeah. Out in the country and, uh, out in Wilson Pike, you know, and the schools out there all white. We actually took my kids to, I assume it's still there. New hope Academy, uh, in Franklin, yeah. which that's their yeah. point is to be culturally and socioeconomic diverse, like but right off of like Mac Hatcher. Yeah, I think I so. Think, I yeah, mean, they may have yeah, moved yeah. since I've been there, sure. but, um, I mean, you know, you're in Nashville. I, I don't, t- maybe I'm wrong now. I've been away for coming on 20 years now. I don't tend to think of that as the most, to me, it's still the South. It's, it doesn't seem like the most progressive place in the, in Nashville's the not bad. Is Nashville's not, not, Nashville's not horrible. I, I talk about Nashville. I talk about Nashville and Tennessee in my book, but we have our issues because it's still the South. But here's here's every day a bit of racism that takes place in this city that a lot of people don't know. And if people are listening to Nashville, know, or you'll even know this. Um, if you were in Franklin, did you ever spend any time in Green Hills at yeah. all? Yeah. Okay. Here's a great example. And I use the example a lot for people that are that want to talk about um, things they don't notice every day. Um, Green Hills Theater, a place that I go to often. 
Um, there was a time period about eight years ago where I would go to the Green Hills Theater because it was like, because I'm kind of bougie when it comes to places of going to see movies. And everybody that worked there was black, like mm-hmm. there, except for the managers. But like the people that were behind serving popcorn and all that running, get, taking tickets were a ton of black people. But everybody who was actually there to watch movies, everybody that had paid to come to that place were mostly white, unless they were showing like a Tyler Perry movie. <sighs> Right. You know, but that's not accidental. Why? Why is it that we are in an environment, bro, that all the all the workers are black? <laughs> like, like this sounds like something we've known historically. Yeah. Right. Like and though in their travel in. Right. These these people that are working there, they don't live in the area. They come from other parts of town to come in to to do work there. And it's very likely that the white folks that show up, they don't notice that. They don't notice that everybody there that's serving them is black. But you better believe, bro, the moment I walk into into a place where I see black people as the servers and it's mostly only black in the South, man, I think about that stuff immediately. But I don't want to pull us too away of what we're talking about, but that, that really still falls into this category of, when you are marginalized, when you are, um, when when you are someone that people can look at, draw stereotypes from, draw their own conclusions from, um, maybe have fear because of who you are or the things that they don't know. Um, unless you're really paying attention, unless you're really really paying attention, you may not see what's just right there in front of you. Right. And the hard part about that, my friend, is. Without seeing what's in front of you, you're not able to take action for change. Right. I hear. Okay, so we've we're talking on the responsibility on. I'll just say on you know on my side to to a degree for everyone listening that is for whatever reason marginalized because of race, gender, height, you know whatever. Where are you advocating for them? Or how do you advocate for them? Meaning, how do you how do you ch- challenge them to go forward? I was playing with that term with with strength, with with uh, you know, with success and compassion there too, because I do see a lot of anger. We might say that it's it's justified. I don't know that it's helpful. How do they go forward though and flourish? If it's a woman in the workplace, or if it's a uh, somebody who's you know short or somebody who is a certain sure, race sure. to go out there and go, okay, this is, I had, man, and I'm going to, um, I had a lady last year. Uh, she was, she's CEO of a fortune 500 company and I'm not quick enough to bring it to mind right now. Uh, and she's black. And she said, look, sure. I came into, and I was, I think I was kind of pushing on some of this mm-hmm. and she pushed back on me. She says, look, I know I'm a black woman. I came from poverty. I'm going to have to do twice as much work and get half the credit. And that's just what it is. But what do you want me to do? Complain about it? I'm CEO of this company and I went for it. Uh, okay. That's awesome. It sucks. Totally sucks, but it, but sure. that's awesome. And so along those lines of saying, man, marginalization, it does, it does exist. Hopefully it's getting better. You're on that side of helping advocate for that to get better. But regardless, women are over here and there's still the containers that we put them in. Race is over here, you know, short, tall, whatever, uh, a skinny, fat, whatever is over here. And for those people to hear that, how can they better, I don't even know if the word, what the word is, embrace, 
and, and understand some of those and go forward with some compassion that would help them not be bitter as well. Yeah. Well, first, first I want to say this to all of my marginalized friends and any, and I say this a lot, it's okay to be angry. Mm. It's okay to be pissed. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to be sad. Um, It's okay to feel all the things that come along with the weight you have to carry as a marginalized individual. It's okay. Um, (laughs) There's this video that's going around right now, man, um, of these black men out in a field. (laughs) I'll send you a link if you can find it. If if you haven't seen it, it's just black men with a camera in their hand and they're frolicking. That's the whole thing about the the thing. They're holding this, this phone and they're out in like a field fill it and they're running and they're like, Oh, so we're frolicking now. Are we, we frolicking? Are we out here frolicking? And it goes from clip to clip of these black men running around smiling out, like, you know, dancing out in the, in the grass. And um, what's made that video so powerful and what circulated so well is that um, we're watching this black boy joy you know, huh. and it's okay to feel the pain, the hurt, the love, the joy of all of those things that come along with being marginalized. And I think it's, I think that's important for whoever you are, tall, short, black, white, Asian, gay, straight, to feel, to know and understand that. But something that we don't tend to always have is we don't tend to have the privilege to just accept it and then ignore those people that have an issue with us. We can't just go, oh, oh, you feel that way about us? That's fine. Cool. I'm just going to ignore it. Because if we just ignore it, we end up putting ourselves in situations where we can't push past and get to the places like your Black CEO friend. We have to be fully aware of what's out in the world first. We have to be able to to accept what, how that's going to make us feel, then we need to figure out how it is we're going to respond. And this is the part okay. that um, I want folks to listen to probably more than anything else. Yeah. Sadly, I don't feel like we have the privilege to not have at least a dose of empathy and grace for individuals that have an issue or a problem with who we are. I would encourage as hard as it is, and friends of mine would say that I'm way better at this than most, is finding empathy and grace for those who, I'm going to use this for lack of a better word, and I really mean this when I say for lack of a better word, for our enemies, and I mean that literally for lack of a better word, like for, you, we can call them whatever, for people that are ignorant or people that might not understand, whatever. We have to um, have empathy and grace. And then we have to work that empathy and grace muscle like we are going to the gym, right? Hmm. Like we have to work that muscle on a daily basis because as as marginalized individuals, we never know when stupid-ish is going to come our way and we're going to have to put ourselves into a situation where we're going to have to just take a second, namaste for a minute, and go, okay, This person over here either has a dark heart. I'm going to have to walk through that. 
Or this person over here is ignorant. They just don't know any better. And I might have to teach through that. Or this person over here really may not have a clue what's going on. And they may have decades to go before they get the work done that needs to happen. And I'm still going to have to deal with that because they're still in my face. So let me exercise that empathy and grace muscle and go, okay, for you over here who has a dark heart, I can't let the things that you're going to say to me affect me. I have to have my armor and my steel up because you're just a dark hearted individual. And you're going to say things about me that I could, I could take and could stick on me for the next 20 years. If I'm not careful, because you're about to say some things that are heartless for you here that are ignorant. It's not our job to teach you. It's not our job to educate you, but I need to figure out what role I want to play in your ignorance. Right. I need to figure out the role because if we're going to get better, we have to start somewhere. And then over here, over here, the person that has the work to do who like years and years of work to do. I have to lean into that empathy and realize that there are some things that I just don't know either. And what I don't know, I don't know. So I'm going to have to lean into my patience with you and say, okay, if you don't have a dark heart, and you just have the work to do. I'm going to protect myself from the things that could stick to me and really bring me down, but know that I have hope for you. Mm-hmm. So all of this is under an umbrella of hope, bro, right? Of like hoping that we can get to a better place. And myself as a black man, I don't have the privilege to not have that hope. You bring a lot to, I mean, even the video before you call the cops to some degree is calling us all. I mean, cause we've got plenty of people who are negatively stereotyped and marginalized who are being just as, just as bad as the white man of doing that to other people. I mean, we've got race against race. We've got, we've, we've got that happening there and calling us all to can take the person and take the time. I mean, back to that stereotyping for efficiency, which I was playing with that. If I'm going to be responsible, if I'm going to be kind, if I'm going to, um, be aware, I got to slow down, take the time to consider each person, which is, I mean, if there's not a better, what would Jesus do thing than that? I don't know what there is, but that is calling me to get off of my agenda and to consider the people around me, get to know them and get past the stereotype and the marginalization that, that is, that just is. Sure. Sure. Um, I mean, you talk about nobody uses the word frolic. I'm still stuck on that word um, about <laughs> oh, this video is great. I'll, okay. I'll text it. Okay. About frolicking. But if, if you, I'm, I'm going to take that and expound on that. If you say that they're frolicking in their, in who they are, right. Play with that a little bit because we see people who are in, let's take people who are negatively stereotyped and marginalized who I see have sometimes a quandary with, do they embrace that? I don't know if that's the right word. I don't know the right word to use, but do they embody that container or do they try to be less of that to 
better fit in to get less friction. And I see people. So, are, so is the, are you asking me, um, people, do they lean into their stereotype or do they try to? I just see people waffling in that tension of, do I lean into it? And just, I am what I am in that. And, and it may cause culturally because there is marginalization. It may cause me some more issues or do I try to not accept that container as much? Well, I can put it to you, Tyler. You could yeah. back, back to the, you could not have dreadlocks yeah, uh, and have a, I don't know, uh, 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 just a yeah. more regular, hair, clean, nice. Yeah. Short cut. And would that help? Would that be less, would that cause less friction out there? out in the, out in this world that is what it is. I, mean, I think we could say probably you've, cho- you've not chosen to do that. And so I see right. people, you know, do they want to deal with that friction or not? Do they want to lessen it? Do they, do they not? Where do you fall on that? Cause I see people grapple with it. Yeah. Well, I've, I've listen, I don't think that there's a single black person in the, in the United States that hasn't on some level had to to um, think about their appearance and make adjustments to it. I used to, I used to do door to door sales years ago. And um, in the industry that I was in, it was easy to just walk. Other people who I work with could walk around in, and it was in the heat. So they would walk around with like khaki shorts on tennis shoes and just like the, the company polo right go knocking door to doors with a clipboard i would show up going knocking door to doors and they would always make fun of me because i look like i was like mormon out in the streets like i had on pants with dress shoes with usually like a vest and a tie on um going door to door to do sales and um the people that i work with were always like bro first of all it's hot why are you out here like this? And I'm like, because I'm very aware of what I look like walking up to someone's house with some khaki shorts on and a polo with my dreadlocks. Like if they think I'm whatever I am, um, I'll, I'll take that, but I'm, I'm, I'm fully aware. And was that a way of me like leaning out of a stereotype for sure? But that's also me being aware of who I am. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the question is, I think the bigger question is, is, is our responsibility to do that for the sake of other people? And well, or, um, for, or for your, I know I like where you went with the sales, even for your own benefit, your own agenda. So you're going out there and going, okay, whatever I may think or, or stand on, if I want to make more sales, I probably will dress this way or look in this certain way. Again, though, I'm not doing that for me. I'm doing that for them. Okay. I'm not doing that for me. I know who I am. You know what I'm saying? I know I know that I am no different than Billy McBilly over here with his khaki shorts. And like we, you know, I'm probably kinder and nicer and sweeter than this man is. But I'm still doing it for the person in whom I'm walking up to the door for. Like, well, hold, I, hold on. I, I want to push back on that, though. Yeah. But, but but for your own benefit, if you think that you will make more sales dressed this way or that way, that benefits your checkbook. And that is somewhat of what I'm what I'm asking around. Yeah, it 100 benefits my checkbook. But let me also be really clear. If I was knocking doors in an all-black neighborhood, I wouldn't be dressed like I was the black Mormon guy. Right. I wouldn't I wouldn't be. If I was knocking doors in an all-black neighborhood, I would walk up wearing whatever I was walking because all of these people that are absolutely familiar with other black people and who they are and what they're about yeah. and aren't walking around with a certain stereotypical type fear – 
If I come up to their door, they're looking at me like, oh, do you maybe know my uncle or do you maybe know my cousin or are you a friend of a friend or do you go to the school down here? Still, my dressing for my to uh, to do my sales still has less to do with me. Granted, I'm going to benefit from it, but that's just me being, for lack of a better word, smart. You know, because my other people, my other people that were working that job, they didn't understand why I did that. And then like, I got it. I was like, it's cool. You don't have to, you don't have to be the person that has to walk up to this door, you know, to uh, a a woman or a man who in the South, who has probably, who may have never had a black man walk up to their door and knock on it. Like you better believe I'm going to be what I think to them would be the absolute least threatening. Yeah. Right. But let it let it be something. Let me go knock on a door to somebody who goes to my church, right? They'll not. I'll, I would answer the door. They would answer the door and go, Tyler, why are you so dressed up? Because in Sunday school, when you're playing with my kid, you are not this dressy, bro. Yeah. And I'd be like, I, I know, I know. But for the sake of this, that, and the other, you know, you you're afraid of what you don't know. Yeah. So, but let me get back to it because I think you ask a really, really great question with leaning in or pulling out. I think what you're saying is fantastic there, and. I think as a black man, I, I oftentimes just do what I feel needs to be done. I feel what's necessary. I do what's necessary. Am I happy about it? No. But I'm just so constantly aware, man. I'm so constantly aware of who I am and what people think about me. Not, I mean, look, I'm not saying everybody, but. There are some, listen, I I think it's important for people to know, like, there are some justifiable fears out in the world that make sense, especially when it comes to women. I talk about a a story, the first chapter in my book, I talk about an experience that I have with an older white woman and me walking across the street and seeing this white woman. And she was obviously afraid for issues outside of her being a woman. But I I, want to be clear, man. Um, I was with two of my white female friends two nights ago, and it was 11 o'clock at night. We had just finished this Governor Graw concert. We're walking in Nashville, Tennessee, and our car is parked like in a back alley. So we could have either went down the back alley one way or walked around in the, in with the lights, right. And, And another way and come around to our car. They, the two of them were like, oh, let's take a shortcut, shortcut through the alley. And I was like, um, no, let's walk around in the light. And they were like, yeah, I guess so. It is 11 o'clock at night here in Nashville. Like, I'm like, there's some things that are just smart, that are just smart, right? That are just intelligent, that are just good. But the question is, is what is your heart in all of this? Like, um, where is your heart at in the midst of these these, these judgments that we make sometime, because I don't want to feel, I want to live in a world where I don't feel like I have to lean away from who I am to make someone else feel safe. I don't want a woman to have to do that so that she can feel like she might get a better job because she's choosing between do I wear a dress or a pantsuit, you know, um, uh, a, a, a shorter woman set, thinks to herself, do I wear my five inch heels or do I wear these cute flats because I want to, I, I want someone to feel maybe more intimidated or less or this side or the other. Um, my friends who are gay and straight or my friends that are gay or, 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 or LG, in the LGBTQ community, 
that feel like they may have to lean out of the things that they're comfortable in to be accepted in a work environment. I want to live in a world where that's not the case. I, but sadly, bro, that's, that's not where we're at. Well, and then it comes back to the stereotypes. And I do struggle with that. If I think about my wife in a downtown late at night, whatever, I don't really care what the race is. It is a big man. Or if it's a man, it doesn't have to be big. I'm saying, yeah, once you do the other side of the street, if I'm got an earbud in there and I, I'm because I don't trust men overall in, in that scenario. And then because we're horrible. It, <laughs> stats show men are bad. St- Just men. Are, women well, are so much better than us. I, yeah, I don't like man bashing. And yet I'm the one who's saying, Hey, once you get on the other side of the street or not get in the elevator with that guy, or, you know, I, I still struggle with the, the Uber driver that comes up, you know, I'd rather it was a small woman if it's my wife or my daughters or, or whatnot. And then we're back to those stereotypes that we do because like what you said, there, there is some, there is some history with some of those, man, that feels bad. That feels bad all, all around. And, and I hope that it's, it's changing. And you mentioned a minute ago, you know, you weren't doing the white man guilt thing. And I have, um, I played around with that a little bit and gotten past. I, I don't, I don't feel the need to feel guilty. I do feel the need to take responsibility. Uh, sure and consider and be, and it's great to have kids in this. It's kind of like being digital natives. I feel like my kids are now more, um, equality natives. Yeah. uh, yeah. And they, and they see it and they call it out in me when I say something like what I did there of less black and daddy, you can't say it. I I get that. I get that. And it's, but it's been a shift for me to not go. I didn't mean that. That would have been me five years ago, Tyler. Right, I didn't, right. you guys know me. I don't, you know, come on. I adopted a native American. Give me a break. And said, so, daddy, right. it doesn't, yeah. Like that gives me cards. I have blocks. tons of black friends. I right. got lots. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Let me, let me say something really quick about the guilt part. Yep. And I want to give, use this as an encouragement for all of my, uh, all of my friends now that are listening to this, that are white, that are wa- watching, listening. Listen, I would argue to say, although we are not monolithic black people, especially, we don't want your white guilt anymore we would much rather you take that white guilt and turn it into action. Like, I don't, please do not feel guilty. When I talk, like when we talk about whatever, don't, we are not over here going, it's time for you to feel guilty. We are way past that. Like it, we do not, we are not crying for guilt. We are crying for action and for you. So take whatever moment of, of guilt you might think or feel or whatever and go, nope, this is not what black people are want for me right now. What they want instead is for me to do exactly what you said is to go, okay, I recognize, I recognize what went down there. How can I move forward in a way that that's, that's, that's more helpful in this situation? Not just with black people, just across the board. So skip white guilt, man. We're, we're over it. It's time to go. Let's get rid of it. You, you did say a minute ago and I wrote it down it really comes back to where I started off this talk with about our propensity to be, you said afraid of what we don't know. We could probably even play around with it. You're afraid or it's just uncomfortable or, or, or not confident. I find myself yeah. there. I don't, I don't know that I feel a fear necessarily. I don't know that I feel, uh, it, it, but sometimes I, I feel less confident. I feel less sure. confident. E- even if, even in this, even in the advocacy of God, how do I, how do I act towards somebody who's different from me? And then I'm irritated that I even have to think about that. I should act different. 
And I think that I, there's a, there's a natural thing to that. Okay. Listen, um, I, I, I want to say this because I just think it's important to say, and I think if, if people are looking for a tool, it's going to sound like I'm trying to blow myself up here, but it's the truth. When I sat down to write, I take my coffee black. When I sat down to write my book, um, I wrote it for a lot of reasons. One is so the black people feel seen, but but one of the things that I tried to accomplish, which I ended up, I underestimated how much I accomplished in this, is I wanted to open the book with talking about an experience of someone who didn't know who I was and talk about the stereotypes and the feelings that they had towards me as a six foot two black man walking down the street with my hoodie on, with my headphones on, um, and all their assumptions of me, what I've been, what, maybe what I was listening to and all, all those things. So I try to draw this picture in chapter one of, if you do not know me, I want you to know that this is what I look like, like six out of the seven days of the week when I go and I take a walk. But now I'm going to give you 17 chapters between that first experience of what, I, what you, the image that you got of me. And I'm going to let you into the depths of who I am, the depths my hurt, my hurts, my losses, my wins, my joys, tons of pop culture references, because that's who I am as a person. My heartbreaks, my spirituality, the love for my mother and my father, my, my, my heartbreaks. I'm going to give you 17 chapters of that. Then we're going to get to the other side. When we get to the other side of this, I want you to think about that guy that you saw in chapter one. Now that you know me. Now, when you see me, Mm -hmm. what do you think? Now that you know, what do you think? And now you see me and you think, gosh, that guy likes, loves Bon Jovi, but he also loves Tupac. He thinks bananas are absolutely disgusting, which they are. And this dude's afraid of spider. Who? This guy is kind of like me, but also absolutely not like me at all. Yeah. And so... What it builds is the next time that you see someone that looks like me, you're able to just take a brief moment and check your stereotypes and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I had had this guy in my house for coffee before and we had sat down and talked, I would probably be so excited to see him walking down the street right now, but I haven't. So what can I do in my everyday life to start building that kind of proximity to people so that I can start to loosen my stereotypes? That word proximity, uh, Tyler, I I thought of again as the, for all of us, that there is kind of like going back to living in Franklin 20 years ago, pretty white and taking our kids to a school because uh, my, my, my wife grew up in Austin and she went to schools and was used to multiracial and whatever and was irritated sure. that it was just the, the main schools were just all, all white. And we did that. And that proximity was so impacting to the kids and seeing them and they go look for Barbie dolls. And there was just no second thought towards getting the white one, the brown one, the light, you know, whatever sure. it, it is. Um, do you think we're getting better? I mean, going back to that, I see my kids and, and their perspective on race, gender, sex is so different than what I grew up in. I want to think that just like being digital natives, that they're getting to this 
I made that word up. What what is a better word? E- e- equality natives. I like I, it. I like digital natives. I think it's cool. Think digital. It's well, good. but I mean, I mean, but I mean, using that in this term of an equality uh, yeah. native that they are more so because I did not grow up in that world of whether even we say equality or just these were different. Here's the containers that now we're breaking the containers open and we can't stereotype as shouldn't and can't. Is that getting better? Um, two things. One, I think it's getting, no, let me say, before I say my two things, let me recognize the fact that there are individuals that are walking this earth right now that are marginalized, that do not feel like it's getting better. Okay. And it's okay to feel that way. So I don't want to sound like even being the end all of end all by the things that I'm about to say. But first, you and I, a incredibly attractive, sexy black man and a pseudo okay white man that's just fa- had 40. 40- that's, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> just had a 45 minute conversation with people who are engaged in listening about our stereotypes, about who we are, about our differences, about correcting each other when we say things that are a little off, a little off-putting. We're having these real-life conversations right now. So to me, that's getting better. To me, that's doing the work. To me, these are conversations that are being had that weren't being had 10 years ago. We're living in a, per, in a post-George Floyd world. Yeah. And um, his death, sadly, opened up the conversations for so many things just beyond um, um, Blackness. And so by our sheer communication, man, listen, I'm going to be a better individual after I hang up this, this uh, podcast with you today. Hmm. And my hope is, is that on some level you are too. So are we getting better? Sure. Um, slowly, but surely. And I've said this before. I, I don't have the privilege. I, me, Tyler personally don't have the privilege Um I found myself getting a little bit emotional about it because I think it's the truth. Um, I don't have the the privilege to not have hope that we won't get better. Hmm. We have to. I don't have kids, but I can't imagine the absolute weight I would feel in hopes that their world will be different than the one that I've lived in and different than the ones that my parents lived in. Which brings me to my second point. Look, we can talk all this nonsense that we want to talk. Our kids are so much better than us. They're just better than us. These young people are better than us. They're better than us for a million reasons. One, we're dealing with kids. Um, I don't know. I Growing up in Las Vegas, um, you know, we used to do fire drills, right? And it used to be like, go run outside, get into a line and see what's up. My friends in, in California used to have to do earthquake drills. We're living in a generation where these kids had to hide under, under tables in hopes that, some, that they wouldn't be a part of a mass shooting. Yeah. These are the kids that are going to be in our future. We have kids that are having to learn who George Floyd was. We have kids who... Um, got to see their first black president. We have kids that were born into the world and all they knew was a black president of the United States and a female vice president who 
know about gay individuals if getting married it's going to be weird for them if they're not able to like these kids are just better than us and they are coming for us we are going to die off at some point <laughs> and they're going to be left running this place and god willing if we help them take care of the earth well gosh they got something beautiful in their back pocket that's a world I would want to live. I want to live in the world your kids are making, man. I want to live in that world that your kids are talking to you about right now. When they say, dad, whoa, 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 wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how much more beautiful that world is going to be? So when we talk about, do I think it's getting better? I think you and I are doing about as much work as we can. We can always be doing more work, but, but we're, we're currently right now, we're, we're doing some work and it's beautiful. But the kids coming up behind us, man, <laughs> you better get ready. We better get ready, especially when they start running for office. Hurry up. <laughs> All right, there, that's the mic drop. There's worth the price of admission the last five minutes of the show, man. Thank you for your willingness to uh, talk to an ignorant white guy and um, – and be compassionate and yeah you you give me a lot to think about a lot to uh talk with my kids about um and a lot to consider and a lot to be uh compassionate about man thank you for what you're doing thanks for the work that you're doing and thanks for bringing it here on the show to school me and everybody listening i'm great hey thank you i want you to hear me for me thank you man for what you're doing it may not seem like you're just doing what you do, but this matters, man. Yeah. This matters. Every time someone says to me, what can I do to um, constitute some sort of change in the world? Though this may seem simple to you, man, you're doing it. And I thank you for that, bro. Tyler, thanks, brother. All right, friends. Tyler Merritt's book again is I Take My Coffee Black, Reflections on Tupac, Musical Theater, Faith and Being Black in America. You can get it wherever you get books. It's an incredibly entertaining and just convicting and compassionate read. Thank you for choosing to tune in to this self-helpful podcast. Subscribe, leave a review if you would. And best thing you can do is take something you learned in this episode from Tyler. Share it with somebody else. I sincerely hope I've helped you help yourself.